This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Happy 2019. Oh, my God. We are back for a brand new year of a brand new podcast year that's three years old it's three years old this month is it this month this month oh shit girl dude that's so many years to be in podcasting years that's what three years that's like 104 years but it feels like 17 minutes (laughs) it does this thing has been like a fucking it's like stepping onto an elevator and then being like oh my god the cable broke yeah but it's flying upward into success land into success ceiling and not downward (laughs) into you get crushed bill no but our stomachs are still in our throats (laughs) that's right the exact same feeling of panic and fear that's right yeah we're still waiting for it to now go downwards <laughs> and kill us even harder than it would have had we not traveled upward. Whatever. I don't know what's happening. I, th- I may have chosen the most negative metaphor possible for the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Which that's, explains everything. That's my style. It it's explains everything about us and about this podcast called My Favorite Murder. Did you know that? That's Karen Kilgara. And that's Georgia Hardstark. Fresh from 2018. Fuck that year. The year is gone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Um, it's a fresh, brand new year. Do you make resolutions? <sighs> yes, I did. But it's also one, because I realize we talk about so much stuff on this podcast, and we are so constantly, like, vomiting personal shit on this mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> and, like, when I went to make resolutions, I'm like, no, this is just shit I've been talking about for a long time that, like, oh. I've been declaring. You you know you know what you've been promising yourself because you say it weekly. Yes. Okay. But I really think that I want to truly start <laughs> for real. No, this but this time, time is for real. 2019 <laughs> is a brand new year. It has a nice <laughs> ring to it. But I honestly want to start saying yes to things even when I want to say no. Okay, maybe the other times were like you know just trial periods and you've you've kind of practiced and so and give it a little shot and now it's like room well for that specific one it's very easy to say you want to do that but when things come up there's such a resounding no that it's like well this isn't this is purely logic it's not my opinion i simply cannot do this thing like what do you mean anything what if the correct answer is no Right. What if you shouldn't be doing it? Well, my problem is I always think the correct right. answer is no. Okay. So That's maybe, my go-to. Maybe you're, you're wrong 50% of the time. I do, at least. <laughs> I think I've proven here that I'm wrong about 78% of the time. But it's that weird habit of what I do is pre-write what's going to happen. Mm. And based on what I make up, I don't like those results. Therefore, I'm going to A, stay home, B, not try to do something, whatever. Yeah. So I just think 
basically the saying yes, forcing myself into discomfort, therefore progress being made uh-huh. is, the, is my new plan. Okay. For 2019. Okay. How about yourself? Um, I don't really usually make resolutions, but I am reading Daring Greatly again for Great. the hundredth time. Sure. And so I would like to... Daring uh, Greatly by Brene Brown, a right. book recommendation we've made many times that's on the right. show. Um, to be more aware and appreciative in the moment because i think that we do this thing and she talks about it where anything that's happy and joyous as we just said we you (laughs) add on the and this is what's going to go wrong with it yes so instead it's like well what if we were just like took a minute and we're like to have you know to appreciate it and have gratitude um and having anxiety we're about to start our new tour (laughs) <laughs> traveling is really hard for me and scary. So to actually take a moment and enjoy it and like, you know, add it up. That's a great plan. Also, because I think it's not just traveling. The whole thing is we've been doing things that are incredibly daunting, pretending that we do them all the time mm-hmm. just so just so we can do them mm-hmm. and get them done. Mm-hmm. Like in the, I remember the very beginning and you were just like, I do not like traveling. And like, there was some real, like we have to do this and we can't do this. Mm-hmm. And that went away very quickly because you just did it. So yeah. you didn't, you didn't stay home and go, no, I don't do that. You just said, I don't want to. Yeah. And then kind of I need like to find a way to make it make it happen yeah you can't say no to shit like that no you can't girl i'm making the <laughs> international money sign with my fingers right now. i didn't know that was just for me or if you were doing that like, uh, i kind of was doing just for you and then i thought it's gonna read yeah you're gonna hear that the greed in my <laughs> fingers as i do that but yeah so there's but there's ways to prepare oneself so that traveling is that your anxiety that you know is going to come won't hit you in the face and you'll be shocked by it every fucking time, like preparing my stories ahead of time, planning on doing certain things in every city, you know. So I'm trying to do that right now. It definitely makes it easier, but I know, and I think that's probably the same reason you do it, is when you have a thing that's that you have to get done that distracts you. Oh, right. That's the problem. Then flying is no longer the problem. Fear of of imminent death is no longer the problem. Yeah. Something bad happening when you leave is no longer the problem. Suddenly the problem is you haven't gotten your homework done. Right. And you can focus on that entirely and not worry about the things that normally so worry that's you. that's bad. Uh, no, I'm saying that oh, that's good. you were probably doing that for that reason. Okay. Because it feels better to, do, to worry about homework than it does that Elvis is going to die while I'm gone. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah I'm not afraid of like being on a plane at all anymore. No, we we've done it so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, cause I used to have a lot of like, it wasn't even fear of flying, but just that thing of the effort, like this isn't going to be worth the pain right or something yeah. which is such an insane i'm not 82 <laughs> i don't know it's like i'm just doing an impression of my grandmother all the time i don't know why yeah. it's so irritating but i want i did tell you this already and you had the funniest reaction but i think it's a pretty good story that's a little bit symbolic of just the experience that we've been having again no complaints <laughs> last I think it was August, but I can't remember exactly the month. I sprained my ankle uh-huh. pretty bad. Jesus. And, uh, I, I'm sure I talked about it in the show. I, I was walking George. I was with my friend Don. I was pointing something out over my shoulder like uh. it was a commercial, <laughs> rolled my ankle off the side of the sidewalk, <sighs> and then basically looked at Don and said, you have to go get George. 
and I have to make it into the house before this thing blows up oh because I God. won't be able to walk on it. So I like quickly limped back to my house, put my foot up and then just had a terrible sprain for weeks and weeks. But of course our fall tour was coming up yeah. and I knew I wouldn't be able, I, all I could think of was you can't walk out on that stage with a weird limp. <laughs> like, like that moment where we go out on stage at the live show is such a big moment yeah, for yeah. us. And it's so exciting. And you don't want to be you all like one crutch under your <laughs> armpit. <laughs> hobbling out tennis ball at the bottom yeah it's like ew what or i carry you on my back <laughs> and that could make die. it you could look cute we're like we're best friends we and i'm carrying you on my back and it's really that Karen. But how how aerodynamically how <laughs> could you do it so basically i put my foot up i was just like this can't i don't have time for this right now and then we went on tour and it was fine you fucking you i have to say you were uh, you you hobbled without a complaint through so many airports where I could tell you were in, pla- in pain. Yes. And I could tell you were using that away suitcase for fucking oh, keeping you up. It was my secret walker. I will yeah. say this. Here's a free commercial for away suitcases. They're not just uh, wonderfully convenient suitcases that make it easy for you to overpack. They also double as a walker, yeah. a very hip, modern walker. They got that side roll thing that's so fucking amazing. Yes. And you, just, you if you get that away suitcase on the side of your sprain, yeah. you're you're golden. Okay, so when I went home for Christmas, on the first day back, I was going to pick Nora up from grammar school. Or school. <laughs> She's in grammar school. It was at the grammar school. Where? Right? The same one I went to. So I'm walking up the back entrance. And for some reason, and I kind of want to sue the city over this, but mm. there are... They do this thing on some of the streets in Petaluma where the, as you go into the ditch area, like Uh there's the asphalt of the road. Uh uh And then as it goes kind of toward the sidewalk cement, Uh it turns into cobblestone. (laughs) Almost like this is what it used to be like, which is so irritating. It's charming to look at. Yeah. Hazardous. Hazardous when you have to look at your phone (sighs) 24 hours a day. Another issue that I don't even have time to address. 2019. We'll deal with it. 2021. We'll get there. (laughs) So when the grid goes down, it's going to take care of itself. <laughs> That's right. And t- and take it off the to-do list. That's right. So as I'm walking up, looking at my phone, there is a mini cobblestone mm. pothole, foot-sized pothole, and I wrench my ankle. Same <gasps> ankle. Roll it again. Freeze. Don't fall down this time. Last time I fell all the way down, which was very Did you do that? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Thing. Yes, because... I he- it made the same crack. It was equally horrible. And I froze like, is this going to be the worst? Mm-hmm. And then nothing, the wave of pain didn't come oh. and the this didn't come. And so I'm like, okay. So I kind of like very casually, uh, as I've taught myself to do, hobbled up this fucking flight of 10 stairs. I realized Nora's not on the playground. She's on the upper oh. sidewalk waiting for me on the other sidewalk. Oh, so I have to walk up there. I'm like waving her down without trying trying not to yell. She meets me. We go and I say we were supposed to go Christmas shopping together. And I said, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, keep a check on it. Mm-hmm. But I might not be able to go to Target today. Yeah. She's like, oh, OK. And then we by the time we get to, you know, across town, it doesn't still doesn't hurt that huh. bad. So I said, I'm going to grab a cart and I'll have my walker yeah. and we, let's get this Christmas shopping done. Yeah. Um, so that afternoon when my sister comes home and she like we put it up and she's putting ice on it and she's like it's so bumpy Uh, and then she goes will you just get a fucking x-ray because once i told her i didn't get an x-ray the first time she lost her mind yeah so she makes me go to petaluma valley hospital uh and it was like eight o'clock at night and i get an x-ray 
I broke it the first time. Yeah. So it was course. a broken ankle that I was walking on <laughs> for several months until that you were like, well, I'm going to ignore this. <laughs> I don't. It's been a time. year at least. It's not several months. That was like a year ago. Was that a year ago? I think so. Yeah, because I guess it wasn't at the beginning of this fall. Tour. No. God, that's weird. I have, uh, I can't keep track of time at all. Well, anyway, when I texted Georgia to tell her, she was like, what the fuck? And I said, if uh, I didn't have time to feel it. And so I just didn't. And she wrote back, I want to laugh, but I also want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> because I had just gone to the fucking podiatrist and my toe has been fucked up for like a year. And this finally, this doctor took me seriously and did an x-ray. And my toe, it's not an ingrown toenail. I fucking, it's either a broken bone on my toe or a tumor. So I too, and when I was hobbling last tour (laughs) for the airport with you and like changing my shoes all the time. Yeah. Oh my God. What are you going to do? Right. We didn't, there was, it was not in the game plan. No. So we couldn't do it. No. So we didn't do it. But now the tour, the new tour is about (laughs) to start. Now let's deal with it. Now let's both. Get surgery. Let's get some surgeries. Let's have a surgery tour. Let's have a surgery. Who can get the most surgeries? Oh, my God. Without anyone noticing that you got surgery. Yeah, you can't. Uh, I mean, you could do it on your face, yeah, but yeah. you have to get very high end. So subtle. The highest of ends. That's right. <laughs> um, very high end. Uh, speaking of our tour, it starts on, I'm excited. It starts on the 10th in San Diego. I'm not that excited. Great. Uh, <laughs> the, most, of the, most of the shows are sold out. But listen, Honolulu. Honolulu? Hawaii? They're doing Hawaii time on this show. Yeah. They're being as chill as Hawaiians are. It's February 8th, I believe. And like, it's, we're going to need some seat warmers in there. Yeah. Some seat fillers. Go there. Or if you maybe live in a cold climate. Yeah. And you're independently wealthy and you want to go to Honolulu for our show. Yeah. Come on over. Take a, take a weekend. Pretend it's, it's for Valentine's Day. I don't know. Sure. Rent a jet. Yeah. Yeah. Pick us up on the way. Come on. (laughs) And, and we'll see you there. And let's party Hawaiian style. That's right. Um, oh, well, another exciting thing about, uh, it being January of 2019 is very soon a whole new wave of podcasts are going to roll out on the exactly right podcast network. Uh, which we're very, there's some of them that we cannot wait to tell you about. We've been teasing it for a long time. It's taken a while, but we're finally going to roll them out and you're going to be very happy. It's been annoying not being able to tell you guys this like fucking slate of podcasts that we've been not, I wouldn't say working on because we've done nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've done a lot of work to make them alive, but we're not the podcasters of them. And so... You know what I mean. But still, we have all that. We have that hometown pride. That's right. And we just think you're going to be excited. Lots of these podcasts were specifically either chosen or developed with the the audience that listens to this podcast in mind. So it's very, it's very exciting to us. And we think you're going to be really excited. So keep whatever. We'll tell you all. Follow on uh, exactly right. Network something on Instagram. Yeah. And Twitter. It's all there. Twitter. Lots of, lots of, and then of course, in the meanwhile, l- please listen to this podcast will kill you, the Percast, the Fall Line. And of course, there's going to be a brand new episode of Do You Need a Ride? Me and Steven and Chris Fairbanks mm. just recorded it with the great Dave Holmes. Dave Holmes. Um, Love him. Comes out Monday. Oh, yeah. We did it on New Year's Eve Day. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Holmes is so sweet. He's the greatest. I tried listening to this podcast will kill you. It was about diphtheria, mm. 
you know, while I'm falling asleep at night. <laughs> it was a bad idea. Did you know you get tumors in your throat from it? <laughs> no. It's so, it was one of those ones where I'm like, well, I can't listen to this while I'm falling asleep because I don't want to miss anything, but also I'm terrified and you're touching your throat. Are well, you okay? I, who knows? I can't, I don't know. <laughs> clearly I'm not in touch with my body. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking to see uh-huh. if there's anything. But wait, diphtheria, does it, do people still get it? I don't know. You have to listen to this podcast. You're, we'll kill you. <laughs> why don't I listen to this podcast? We'll kill you <laughs> on my way home. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, I don't think so. Not that I, well, I guess we'll just bring it up as we think of it. Yeah. Um, who the fuck goes first? Uh, Steven. Uh, the, the last live show, because we did the MFM Origins last week. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. If you want to listen, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, Origins, it's Steven fucking made a beautiful episode. Steven. Editing so many, find like combing through old episodes to find the origins of a bunch of our stupid quotes. Yes. And he put them all together, did a great job. I mean, Steven. It, it took a long time mostly because I just was listening back. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be working. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Yeah. It was like a your Christmas gift to us yeah. where we didn't have to record an episode, yeah. another episode at the end of December. It yeah. was wonderful. It was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was yeah, really fun. Great job. Thank you. So at the end, so before Origins. Oh, is uh Glasgow and um you did the um Bible John. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So first. Then, then you would go first. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or great. it's new twenty nineteen. Yeah. Whatever. <gasps> Should we you, start a new system? Like uh, coin flipping? Rochambeau. Okay. I'm a big I, fan of Rochambeau. Are you really? You, would you say you're good at it? I think I'm good at it, which is so stupid. <laughs> I know that's ridiculous. And I was about to say it, and then you asked it, and I was like, don't say it. I think I'm good at Rochambeau. I, I, could, I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> you were like, should we do this? My eyes got bright. You're is like, that fair? What if I'm really chance. good? I'm going to lose immediately. So it's one, two, three, hit. Yeah. Right? One, two, three, hit. Shit, you just won. I won it. <laughs> So now Georgia doesn't get to believe she's good at Rochambeau anymore. I don't. But wait, does that mean you go first or I go first or you get a pick? We didn't decide oh, what yeah, winning we didn't. meant. What does winning mean? What do you want? Um, I, you know, I assume winning means you go second, but that's because I'm from the world of stand-up comedy where the headliner is last. Got it. But that doesn't apply to us. No, that's fine. Let's and it's it. not the same. Um... Do you have an end? Do you have an ender? A good ender? I'm staring at Stephen yeah. like he's going to help me. I mean, I feel like it's it's you get to pick because it means yes. either you get to go first or you get to pick. You know, yeah, like it's you get to pick which choice. one you want to do. <sighs> I like going first sometimes. Okay, but it depends on if you have a story that you think is going to be a good ender. I don't. Uh, I have to say. We haven't done this in so long in this way that I kind of feel I I absolutely don't know what day it is. I'll say this right now. I mean, obviously, it's Wednesday because that's when we record. But conceptually, I've been asking what day it is for like two weeks. No, I thought it was Tuesday for three days. I'm in so in weird like vacation mode because we haven't had one in so long that we so just long. literally and legitimately took two weeks off. Yeah. And did nothing and like. Didn't do anything. It was so weird. It's it. It was, yeah. Suddenly, I could feel my bones. Yeah, it was not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because they're broken, <laughs> right? Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect, and then you try again and it's the same thing? And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But 
scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payments details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash mfm onepassword.com slash mfm goodbye okay then you know what i'll go first if it's my pick okay and just let's dive right back in okay because also i i really like this story but i don't know if it's an ender i don't know what it is i I got it but i will tell you this the reason that i picked it is because it's in my little uh file on my computer that's murders that I haven't done yet. Yeah. And it's one of the only ones that had any information on the page whatsoever because I've run out of those completely. Right. You're like, great. It started for me. Yeah. I, I barely had like a backlog to begin with. Yeah. And then, yeah. So this was one of my only ones. And then the, the whole reason I loved it is because there was this quote that I had pulled from another story and was like, remember to do this one and remember to use this quote. <gasps> you know, I lost that quote. Do you ever do that in the... <laughs> When you're cutting and pasting from one document to another, if you cut from one document and then you delete something else before you paste. No, it's gone. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like if you basically take the place of the cut and paste. Yeah. On one. Got it. Am I wrong about this, Steven? I don't. I mean. It might be whatever (laughs) you're. like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) If I think, yeah, if it's highlighted. Def- definitely. If it's highlighted, you copy it and then you delete it. It won't. Whatever. Okay. It doesn't. Yeah. I, I just wanted to see if we could get super bo- boring before I started. So <laughs> just to like have a, a nice a basement. Right. It can only go up from here. <laughs> I'm just saying. I wish. I would say this was an under if I had this quote. <laughs> That would have been like the oh shiny tiara what's, on top of this princess story. What's the quote? Well, it doesn't matter now. Okay. And I don't, I truly don't have it. And now I can't find it. I couldn't find it, which is very odd. Mm. Then it's like, where did I get did it? Did it ever even exist? Yeah. What the? Was fuck? it just a quote that you ho- wished someone would say? Or did, is there a rare chance that I actually read an, a physical book yeah. and then copied the quote out of a book? Yeah. That's impossible. No. I don't do research that. You can't even read. I can barely touch books (laughs) because of my ankle. Okay. But the, uh, so I'm going to do for you right now and Stephen in 2019, Mm -hmm. the murder of Thelma Todd. Okay. Hollywood actress of the 20s and 30s. You know her from the many Marx Brothers films that she appeared in, if at all. Um, <laughs> they called her <laughs> the ice cream blonde. And she, uh, in less than 10 years, made over 120 movies and short comedic shorts. Jesus. Comedic shorts. Um, all with a broken ankle. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> so I got 
the majority of the information about this murder um, from the website Deranged LA Crimes. And this is the same website where um, it's it's a website written by uh, someone named Joan Renner. And that's where I got the whole story for our LA live show two live shows ago when I did um, the story of Aggie Underwood, who was the first City Desk editor um, and this basically very famous female true crime reporter in LA in the 40s when no one else, no other women were doing it. Yeah. And she did it. And she is said to be the one who coined the Black Dahlia nickname. Right. She was, and supposedly the first on the scene, uh, reporter wise. Crazy. Um, so Joan Renner has a website deranged LA crimes, but there's a whole part that's about Aggie Underwood and she's like an expert mm-hmm. in Aggie Underwood. So a lot of the information is from there and also from, I got it from there. So apparently Lonnie Anderson starred in a 1991 film called White Hot, The Mysterious Death of Th- Thelma Todd. Mm-hmm. And, um, when that, I think it's a made for TV movie, but everyone only ever called it movie. Right. On, on the internet so i'm not sure and it costs like 50 dollars on amazon like it's hard to get what? yeah i thought i was gonna watch it really fast yeah. and then have a fun like then Lonnie anderson said this yeah. and it's like you can't get it oh, you have shit. to be like a devotee but in 1991 uh um uh a writer named Frank Asinello wrote an article in the Chicago Tribune um, that was basically, it was all about Thelma Todd's mysterious death because this Lonnie Anderson made for TV movie was about to come out. Okay. So he basically was like, it's still a mystery, but there are some theories. And he kind of like reignited the whole idea of okay. it. So let's do this. Great. Thelma Todd was born July 29th, 1906 in Lawrence, Massachusetts to an abusive, distant, alcoholic, that's right, an Irish father (laughs) named John Todd, who was an upholsterer and a corrupt local politician. Great job. Um, I don't know if he really was both of those things, but he was said to be one thing and then the other thing and different websites. So I like to think... He started as a lowly upholsterer. Right. And he rose up to a corrupt, being a corrupt But you know, like even back then, it was probably such a small town. I was like, great, you're mayor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a big fucking deal. Like it was a big pol- like Politico fucking. That's right. You They're know. like, you recovered our couch so beautifully. Yeah. You're the mayor. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, remember that time we had a whole conversation about how upholsterers are always creeps? Yeah. I think it was a, it was because, um, Angelo Buono, who was one right. of the Hillside Stranglers, he was an upholsterer. Because they're just huffing fumes, glue, fabric glue. And they got a lot of like hooky, a lot of instruments that are hook shaped. Yes. And yes. Anything else? No. <laughs> Go ahead. What? There was nothing. <laughs> uh, okay. So Thelma Todd graduates high school. She uh, actually enrolls in college. She wants to be a teacher. So she enrolls at a school called the Lowell Normal School. Oh. Where the mascot is a normal person. <laughs> Just the most normal Just person. Someone you- as normal. This guy, he's like a beige person. Yeah. He's got his buttons all the way to the top done. Yeah. He's just normal. He likes pot roast. Yeah. He likes potatoes. Go normal people. Missionary sex. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's all he's into. Um, okay. So that is now the University of Massachusetts at Lowell, but at the time it was called okay. the Lowell Normal School for all those people. In Massachusetts. I, am I pronouncing Lowell wrong? No, it sounds right. It's not a Worcester situation, is it? I don't think so. Okay. Um, why am I asking you? I don't know. 
Um, Why am I being so confident in my answer? That's a good question. <laughs> no, there was a school in San Francisco boat. named called Lowell. Right. So I, maybe, that's why I'm pronouncing it that okay. way. I'm basically. So maybe in that. Massachusetts they call it something else. But listen, we're going with the San Francisco pronunciation. Got to do it. NorCal, West Coast. The end. Okay. So unfortunately, Thelma wants to be a teacher because her name's Thelma. So yes, that's a natural. But her mother, Alice, is real pushy and it's like, you need to enter beauty contests. Mm-hmm. And well, it turns out her mother was right because in 1925, Thelma wins the title of Miss Massachusetts. Damn. And she actually goes on to compete in the Miss America pageant Holy that year. Shit. Or later on. Uh, she doesn't win, but she does catch the eye of Hollywood talent scouts and she ends up getting a contract at Paramount. Damn. Yeah. So now she's in the uh, mid twenties, mid to late twenties Hollywood studio system. Hell yeah! Which I'm sure was good, but from what I understand, pre-code Hollywood, there was oh. a lot of amphetamines. Sure, there was a lot of uh, drinking, and um, there's a lot of just you know orgies everywhere, orgy type things. There's casting couch stuff. Yeah, actors are cattle. This is where okay, all. Okay, never mind. I take back my positive note. No, we can be positive about it. No, I hate it. <laughs> no, come on. Don't let your love of acting be I killed refuse. by the early studio system. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a reason that things are... There's a reason we ended up in the, the fucking Me Too situation that we're in right now. Mm. And it's because it's a, this has been a long road of overt oppression. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Thelma Todd starts out in silent films, but because of her beautiful speaking voice, and I say beautiful, but... It just was like she had an okay voice. Yeah, she could speak like a normal human. Yes, exactly. She didn't have the... Um, like a normal human, like the person like, from her. Yes. That guy. She could speak just like him. She was thinking of the school mascot. Yeah. All those football games where the beige guy cheered. Just came out and was and like, like, great, I really hope you guys win. Look, I'm really supportive of this team. Yeah, and she was like, hey, I'm a silent movie star. Look at me. I'm Everyone's supportive like, of God, talking. this is normal. Yeah. I love it. I love her. She... Makes a transition to talkies, and in less than 10 years, as I said, she appears in over 120 movies and comedic shorts. Now, m- comedic shorts were like this thing, and it's you, if you ever go to black and white, like remember the old silent movie theater mm-hmm. um, back in the day? There used to be comedic shorts, so like Buster Keaton and Laurel and Hardy and all those guys, they would put out these little short movies that were like... You know, it wasn't an hour. It was like 12 minutes Mm -hmm. long or whatever. Um, She was in a ton of those. And in 1931, producer Hal Roach teams her up. He gets this idea that he wants to have like a female Laurel and Hardy. He Mm -hmm. thinks that would be great. And then all the bros in the 30s were like, you're ruining my childhood. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Women aren't funny. (laughs) <laughs> and this no, is again hey, say women aren't funny say uh, hey say women hey. and then they all do like a four-part harmony <laughs> sweet caroline <laughs> so hal roach teams thelma todd up with uh, a very famous actress zazu pitts mm-hmm. who is very actually you look a lot like her <gasps> she has these big brown eyes she's very kind of dramatic looking mm-hmm. and she looks like um she was an amazing silent film actress because she was very expressive um so the two of them it's like the blonde and i the picture i saw of zazu pitch she was a brunette could have changed okay in the 20 in the like later in her career but they're they do a bunch of shorts <laughs> you know those famous comedy shorts they start in like hot dogs <laughs> It's basically a U, like original YouTube where yes. it's like we just need to make funny content. Fall down a couple times, yeah. break your necklace, you yeah. know, and then drive a car. Sure. It'll be hilarious. You're women. 
um, one of their shorts was called Let's Do Something. <laughs> Great. I love it. Let's go with it. Let's do something. P- publish it on YouTube now. So good. Okay. So then when Zazu Pitts, um, leaves Hal Roach's, uh, like production company over a contract dispute, mm-hmm. Thelma Todd is then paired up with an actress named Patsy Kelly and they make a ton more. Now, while she is under, uh, Hal Roach's tutelage, I've mm-hmm. never said that word before, mm-hmm. he creates something called this, you might enjoy. It's called the potato claws. Oh dear. Um, he just, he, believed that Thelma had a weight problem. Oh, and so he um, stipulated that he put in her contract, the potato clause, if she gained more than five pounds, she'd be fired. Jesus. So, of course, Thelma's mother was there to the rescue, giving her diet pills. Okay. Uh, which she, of course, became addicted to. And this is, and she also was a huge drinker. And this is now when this turns into the Karen Kilgariff story. <laughs> 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 oh, no. Although I was never Miss Massachusetts. I could have if were I tried. Runner up. <laughs> I couldn't get that baton to light on fire. Okay. <laughs> she uh plays opposite Buster Keaton, but eventually what she gets famous for is being the blonde in all the Marx Brothers movies mm-hmm. that all the brothers are into. So including Horse Feathers and Monkey Business, some of their most famous movies. If you haven't watched a Marx Brother movie, you absolutely should. They're super hilarious. They genuinely are great comedy. And Chico Marx is truly one of my favorite performers. Hey. He plays the piano, mm-hmm. but then he does jokes while he's playing the piano. He does piano playing jokes like you have to see it but it's like one of my favorite things okay he's amazing so in 1931 she stars opposite chester morris your favorite actor (laughs) in a pre-code crime drama called corsair and the director of that movie was a man named roland west who then thelma began to have an on again off again affair with he was a married man Uh uh-oh um, in 1932, she marries a self-proclaimed producer and, uh, Ugh, you gotta hate a self-proclaimed producer. Th- I mean, here's the thing about Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It was founded by people in the mafia mm-hmm. and creeps. It just was. They, was, they were self-proclaimed everything. They were so, they were just proclaiming all over town. <laughs> I know art. I know how to make a movie. Proclaim it till you make it is what they used to say. (laughs) That was the old saying. (laughs) That was the poster that that Chico Marx had above his bed. (laughs) So these guys, they ran the movie business like it was any other business, like it was running liquor or prostitution or anything. It was kind of the same thing where if you were in a movie, you could shut up and you'd take your money and you would get as much as they gave you the end. Totally. And here, take these pills, you know, come to the party and potato claws always hanging over your head the potato claws still exist today it's unspoken um, we have it at my favorite murder but it's that <laughs> if you don't gain five pounds you're fired that's um i actually in- <laughs> inducted the potato claws uh with er- in late 2016 and uh-huh. it was i'm gonna gain five pounds every day <laughs> until i uh break both of my ankles okay so, uh, we, we weigh Steven every time he comes over here. <laughs> All right. I'm done. I'm done. Steven is a wreck. Steven, get on a scale. Uh, 1932, Thelma marries this, uh, man. His name's Pat. I think it's Dicheco, but it's spelled D I C I C C O. Dicheco. No, it's not that. It's D C C O. D C C O. CISO was named after him. <laughs> De CISO and desist. 
Uh, <laughs> so he uh, had mob ties. He they had a very bad marriage. Um, they both drank a ton. They would get into huge drunken brawls, mm. one of which resulted in a broken nose for Pat. And another ended in an emergency appendectomy for Thelma. Holy shit. So they threw down. Oh, my God. Um, married for two years. In 1934, they get divorced. And right after that, Thelma stops drinking. She's like, I'm already on diet pills. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, believe me when I say it's actually the best combination in the world because when you're on diet pills, you can drink like nine beers really? and not feel anything. Huh. Like that's when it just starts cutting the edge off the diet pills. Oh, yeah, And I bet you in the 30s, diet pills oh. were way more intense. They were insane. What were they made of? Like who the fuck knows? Asbestos and fucking gasoline. And gasoline. E ethyl gasoline. Ethanol. <laughs> Ethanol <laughs> and paint chips. <laughs> And asbestos. And you <laughs> chewed it on up and you liked it. And you said, pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> you lost all the pounds. <laughs> so, in 1934, she decides she's going to open her own, it, basically, restaurant club. And it's called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. And it's in that I love building. it. I know. I drive by all the time. Yes. Not all the time. I'm never on PCH. But every time I drive by it, I think that's Thelma Todd's place. Yes. It's the building, I believe, is still standing. Mm -hmm. It is between Santa Monica and Malibu on PCH. It's gorgeous. It's the best location um, right right on the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an it Art Deco looking building. It's really cool. It's very you cool. You notice it because it's really like it's an old timey cool yeah. structure. I think it's like a like a car mechanic now or something is it really i have no idea it's weird that they didn't make it like a, a it's so los angeles they, that they're just like oh yeah that can be whatever you want yeah. we're not going to make it any kind of a landmark no, it's not gonna be historic preserve it yeah. yeah have it be like a pizza hut taco bell drive through <laughs> that's what we like the most let's desecrate this place <laughs> quickly so at the time thelma todd's sidewalk cafe was the spago of the 30s mm. it was frequented by celebrities politicians and mobsters all the people who partied. And the menu offered a gin fizz for 35 cents, mm. which is what my parents used to have at every holiday, like Christmas morning, Easter morning. They were gin it's a fizz, gin fizz Just gin and fizz? It's gin. It's an egg. Oh, God. It's egg white? Egg white. Uh-huh. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't think they use yolks. I hope not. Um, it's it's my mom just drinks a whole egg, and then she... <laughs> and she eats <laughs> and a gold, she live goldfish. <laughs> And then she swallows a tire iron. <laughs> she gets into the and Guinness then it's Book a fish that she pulls out as like fish skeleton, and and now she's in the Guinness Book of World Records for it. Um, what a great woman! Uh, gin fizz. All I know is there's egg whites, as you say, gin and lemonade, Minute Maid lemonade. <laughs> It always has to be from a can of Minute Maid lemonade. Yeah, of a, a like defrosted can. Of Holy shit! That was always on the counter when it was a ho you know it was a holiday at the Hogarth. I'll take four. Well, if you took four at Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe, it would only they would cost you thirty five cents each. Great, it's not the best. Yes, I couldn't do. I couldn't multiply that. By yeah, four I know that it would take me a minute. <laughs> Be, Three, it's over a dollar. Yeah. I know that for a <laughs> fact. Right. We don't need to know. It doesn't it's matter. Four, it's a dollar forty. It's a dollar forty. <laughs> there was also the Thelma Todd knockout, which was one dollar. Oh. So that was like triple a gin fizz. There was the Thelma Todd milk punch, which had, which had a gin base. I wonder if they made all their own like bathtub gin totally. and then just served it. And the Thelma Todd Ricky. 
<laughs> instead of a lime ricky oh, yeah. which was 45 cents and that last one was listed as a hot weather suggestion great thank you yes yeah just wait for winter when you have that gin fizz yeah don't eat drink egg whites during the fucking <laughs> summer that sounds disgusting <laughs> okay so here's what's crazy she opens thelma todd sidewalk cafe with director and her on again off again lover roland west and his wife actress jewel carmen she's like great let's do this jewel is like I love restaurants. I love ideas. I love my husband. Uh, God, I love this guy so much that I want to go into business with his girlfriend, actress. Mm -hmm. So, the, weirder still, the three of them move into the duplex mm -mm. that's above the cafe. Mm -mm. Now, this that line of information I got from one website. But then I saw on the uh, Joan Renner's website, there was actually a hand-drawn map of the location. And basically in the foreground, right by the ocean is the building where Thelma Todd Sidewalk Cafe is. Mm -hmm. And at the top of that building, there's an apartment comp, there's an apartment that Thelma Todd lived in. Mm -hmm. But then in the street above, mm -hmm. basically, so it was like a house built into the hill. So yeah. it had a view of the ocean and overlooked the building where the cafe was, that's where Roland West lived okay. with his wife. But it was like up this, it was basically up, um, the main house. It was the main house up 300 stairs from PCH. You would have to walk up them and then walk up the road. Okay. So they, but basically they all lived together, whether yeah. it was in that apartment above the cafe or in Roland's house. Yikes. Yeah. Apparently Jewel is fine. The wife is fine that he, Roland is having an affair with huh. Thelma Todd, but Roland is not happy because Thelma now that they all live together and have this business together, he sees the constant influx of her other lovers uh -uh. that are on again when he's off again. And it pisses him off. He doesn't like it because they're all roommates, <laughs> <laughs> which is a mistake, which what, she isn't something you should do. No. Um, if you're having an affair with a married man, go ahead and don't move in with yeah. him as a, just as generalized advice. Definitely. Okay. And one of those lovers is the mobster Lucky Luciano. Mm. Now, this guy, have you ever seen a picture of him? I've seen the guy who played him in Boardwalk Empire. Ooh. And holy, holy shit. shit. Smoke stack. Smoke stack. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke. People these smoke days say show. smoke show. Smoke show. <laughs> That's the trendy thing to say, but I'm starting smoke smokestack. I knew it was something he is a He is the smokestack of a nuclear... <laughs> Fission reactor. Absolutely. Let me see a photo of him. And what's the actor's name who played him? Uh, I'll never know because he's a character actor, but he's a look at the real lucky, lucky yeah. Luciano. He, he looks a little scarier than the actor. He has a, a he has a lazy eye yeah. and scars on his face like a panther scratched he's him. He's been punched in the face so many times. You yeah. know it. There's no cartilage left in his nose. Yeah. And he himself is a smoke show. I will say. Yeah. If this guy was like, hey, I want to talk to you at this bar. Yeah. I'd be like, well, absolutely. <laughs> what would you like to speak about, sir? Tell me anything with your broken jaw. <laughs> I'm listening. With your vaguely threatening face. Yeah. Just consistently. Talk about like a resting bitch face. Yeah. He is resting. I'm going to shoot you in the back of the head when you think we're just out for a stroll. Totally. Fate. Resting face. face. <laughs> That's the thing. Will you look up this, um, the actor that played Lucky Luciano in Boardwalk Empire? Because I do remember when his part would come on. There was also, there was him and there was Meyer Lansky and they were both hot. Totally. Well, Meyer Lansky's that amazing actor that it's on, uh, yes, what's the, 
the, simple man a serious man a serious man he's yeah. amazing i love him okay the actor's vincent piazza okay. he played lucky luciano hi but he's so cute he's the cute well see in that picture he of course all actors take pictures wearing some weird european scarf <laughs> and that's how you know that they're not the character they played in the period that's the piece. only way you know because that guy is lucky luciano is so scary and his yeah. hair is so perfectly like finger wave yeah and he's like all in that three-piece suit and he's just like you can With tell his, Ital- his like new york italian accent and shit yeah and he's like calmly killing people Everyone. and calling for people to be killed and thelma todd is like absolutely remember this let me see god damn it he did that oh, so good he's so cute yeah you guys watch boardwalk empire it's yeah. a really good show if you haven't seen boardwalk empire i think it's on some of the streaming hbo or nothing streamings um please okay, watch it so thelma todd sees him and she's like absolutely so he she sees him <laughs> the non-acting version of uh-huh. him it's the scar-faced version he's by the way when she meets him he was the first head of the genovese crime family which is a pretty fucking big deal. Uh-huh. When I went on to Lucky Luciano's uh, uh, Wikipedia page just to kind of get a general sense, because uh-huh. I thought he was like an L.A. mobster uh-huh. that was just kind of like opening clubs here and stuff. No, 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 no. He was like, it, it, he was huge and top everywhere. Brass. I couldn't figure out what city he originated in. So he was a smokestack. He was the <laughs> top brass. He was fucking a killer uh, among killers. Yeah. So she meets him at the Coconut Grove. Where all great things happened in the 30s. Yeah. Which I believe, I could be wrong. Stephen, you might want to... He's <laughs> Stephen's writing in his notebook right now. <laughs> he's, you're writing takeout, Lucky Luciano's day. Yeah, it just says, lose five pounds. <laughs> Please lose five pounds. Over and over. Um, I think Coconut Grove is what the comedy store is now oh. because you heard uh, there's always the stories about how the comedy store on um sunset boulevard is haunted and it's because i believe so steven's gonna correct me it used to be the coconut grove and they used to take people in the basement and kill them <gasps> constantly and there are amazing ghost stories from people who have worked at the comedy store guys who have left the main room closing up the club at night and they go back into like because uh-huh. they hear a noise and all of the chairs are piled up into what? one tall pile in the center of the room why is the scariest thing stacked furniture because in the world like fast stacked furniture yeah. and and yeah because then you know something happened right. and the, and those were people who who told those stories on like television yeah yeah ghost story shows where they were like yep this is i'm you're like this guy's not a bullshitter no he's telling the truth he he said it was like so scary so i think steven am i wrong i think what well, yeah it says here because it was demolished in 2005 i guess that was it used to be or it was turned into the ambassador hotel Oh, what? but it doesn't oh. say anything about the. Where, so where was story. Coconut Grove? This was in. It was on three uh, thirty four hundred Wilshire. Oh, oh, nowhere near it. And everyone knows, <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows the Ambassador Hotel never had any problems, and nope. was, everything went well there. Everything was great at the Ambassador Hotel. That's right. No major assassination never took place there. So everything is fine. I guess there's lots of bad vibes in L.A. <laughs> is really what the, I mean. That's really L.A. That's it's the just moral of the story. One bad vibe. Okay. So, uh, you see now why this is not a closer. Um, <laughs> okay, so she meets Lucky Luciano. They're at the Coconut Grove. He offers her a glass of champagne. She says no thanks because she stopped drinking when right. she divorced asshole. 
he, when she refuses him, grabs her <gasps> and pours a bottle of Dom Perignon down her throat. Oh, my God. And then they fall in love. No. <laughs> yeah. Because Thelma Todd uh, had a real problem with dating abusive men, you know, probably st- like starting from her father, the yeah. relationship she had with her, with her father, distant abuse of alcoholic men was kind of her thing. And also it was so common back then. Yeah. It was just a thing. I think a lot of women just expected to happen. Right. You were manhandled. You were treated like a thing. Um, so she, but also how scary to date a yeah. mobster. Those yeah. people are, that's scary. Totally. And she's like, I'm in it. Cause she was all speeded out. And he also got her better diet pills. Oh. He immediately got her hooked on stronger amphetamine. Shit. And was like, we're doing this. But the sad part is he may have been using her because what he wanted, although she was the most beautiful and successful woman in Hollywood at the time, mm-hmm. she really was huge. She was like the biggest star. But he wanted to open a casino above Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe what? in the empty third floor of that building. And um, that was his plan. So what he wanted to do was because she already had the celebrities and all the people going there. He wants to open a casino on the third floor. Then the um, movie studio executives would go up there, lose their money, owe him money. And then he would slowly take over the studio system. That was Lucky Luciano's plan. Holy shit. And that's what he wanted to do. But Thelma Todd basically said, no, you're not. She didn't want to have any of that involved in her restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't happening. Now I'm seeding you all the little things that were going on in Thelma mm-hmm. Todd's life. All nefarious and... Yeah. Right. Lots of bad vibes. Good, fun, great comedy stuff. Hot dogs. But <laughs> then also lots of lots of creepy stuff. Yeah. So on the night of Saturday, December 14th, 1935, she gets invited to a party that Ida Lupino, who at the time was 16 years old, her father, who was a British actor, he was throwing her her 16th birthday party or a a party for her. Uh-huh. I assumed it was her birthday at the Trocadero, uh-huh. which is another famous club. Maybe maybe that's what the comedy store was. It was actually oh, talking. I just talked into my phone. It was, the, <laughs> uh, it was Ciro's and it was a mafia oh. controlled nightclub. Ciro's. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I, there's okay. an article in Daily Bruin about the history. Okay. Read it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, thanks, Stephen. Uh, okay, so they go to Trocadero for Ida Lupino's birthday. Now, if you don't know anything about Ida Lupino, at the time she was only 16, she went on to become a really big star in the f- uh, 40s, I think more in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then she became a director. She was one of the first big female wow. directors in Hollywood. And it's only ever mentioned on like that, a go- on the Google art thing once yeah. a year when it's like you know the date of her death or whatever but if you're interested in anything like that wow. look up Ida Lupino because she was a big deal and she should be more famous okay uh, so Ernie Peters is one of Thelma Todd's um uh, usual limo drivers. Uh-huh. And so he picked her up her and her mother going to this party and when they get into the car Thelma gets chased out of the house by Roland West, who is yelling, you be back by 2 a.m. And she gets into the limo and turns around and says, I'll be home at 2.05. Uh-uh. And then they peel out, um, is how I like to imagine it. So they go to this party. Ernie ends up driving Thelma's mother, Alice, home around 8 o'clock. Thelma stays. Um, while she's still there at the party, 
um, her ex-husband, Pat DiCiccio, uh-huh. shows up with a young actress. He was not invited to this party. So they immediately get into a fight. She's like, you're trying to embarrass me. You're trying to humiliate uh-huh. me. It's a big blow up. And then she just stays there. Obviously, she wasn't that embarrassed because she stayed and. Until 2.30 in the morning, she sits down at Sid Grauman's table, the man who opened the Chinese theater. Uh-huh. And it was one of the first big Hollywood guys. I don't know anything about him. I'm just trying to lie through this part. <laughs> um, she sits down at his table and says, will you call Roland and tell him I'll be home? I'm leaving now. I'll be home in a half an hour. Uh-huh. I pictured as he was sitting at one of those tables that had a phone yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on the side, little side table. Yeah. With a phone. Which in 1935 would... Be like having your own satellite. Yeah. Real big deal, Sid Grumman. So when she finally leaves and gets sent back into the limo, it's 3 a.m. Yikes. Ernie, the limo driver, says that Thelma was unusually quiet on the ride home, which is really saying something when she was on a ton of <laughs> diet pills. Yeah. God, you want to talk so much on those. <laughs> and smoke. When he drops her off at 3.30, he offers to walk her up the 63 step flight of stairs uh-huh. that was uh, goes up to the house above but she does something she never does because he normally does do that uh-huh. especially if she's been out drinking she says no and that's ernie peters is the last person to see Thelma taught alive huh. so on monday morning this is this is late saturday night early sunday morning on monday morning Thelma's maid of four years. Her name is May Whitehead. She drives her own car down to the garage to get Thelma's brown Lincoln convertible and bring that down to the hill, down the hill to the cafe where Thelma usually is at the time so that she can use her car down Mm -hmm. there. And that was the setup that they always did um, on Monday mornings. Um, And she later tells the police that the doors to the garage were closed, but they were unlocked. And inside, she finds Thelma Todd slumped over in the driver's seat of her car. The engine's running almost out of gas. Um, so May runs down to the cafe. She tells the manager of the cafe to call Roland West. And then the police are called. When Thelma's mother is told of her daughter's death, she screams, my daughter was murdered. <gasps> That's the first thing she says. Uh, Thelma Todd was 29 years old wow. at the time of her so death. Young. So the second the story breaks that she died... Um, her death has treated with total suspicion and murder is immediately in the headlines. There's no proof of it. Um, and there kind of will never be, but it's just immediately introduced by the press and by people like Aggie Underwood, the mm-hmm. true crime people who are just like, it, this is a woman who's in the prime of her career. She is young. She's still gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She's get now getting full length movies and she, um, you know, like she's really coming into her own. Her restaurant is huge. She's, why would she kill herself? It makes no sense that she would kill herself. But law enforcement theorized that what actually happened was she came home drunk from that party. She found herself locked out of the house like Roland West said he would do. Mm-hmm. And they're at the beach. So anywhere else in Los Angeles, it would be unlikely, but out on the coast, it would be pretty cold at three 30 in the morning in December. Right. So she went in, they theorized she went into the garage to get warm. And cause she was drunk. Um, she turned her car on to use the heater mm-hmm. and she, um, uh, died of carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide poisoning. 
<laughs> oh, my eyes were scanning the page so quickly. So a coroner's inquest into Thelma Todd's death is held on December 18th, 1935. The autopsy surgeon A.P. Wagner testifies there are, quote, no marks of violence anywhere upon or within the body and that there was only a superficial contusion on her lower lip. So they say that her from one of her front teeth was chipped and that there was blood on her lip. Hmm. From what? From hitting the... They say from passing out and hitting her uh, mouth on the steering wheel. So the jury rules that the death appears to be accidental, but recommends further investigation to be made into the case by proper authorities. Mm -hmm. Um, But now other people claim, and a lot of journalists theorize, that her nose was broken. Mm -hmm. So she didn't just fall, like pass out into the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, Her nose was broken. And some say they saw bruising around her neck that indicated strangulation. There were also rumors that she had two broken ribs. Wow. Um, she'd also had peas and carrots in her stomach. They did not serve peas and carrots at the Trocadero. So then there were theories that she went, when she went up and found that she was locked out of the house, she ended up going somewhere else mm-hmm. um, and eating and hanging out with somebody. But that's all theory. Was there alcohol in her system? She had a 0.13. Um, blood alcohol level so that's drunk but it's not like crazy sloppy drunk it's like drunk but you can get yourself they say that you would know that you were about to gas yourself if you've gotten to your if you were that drunk and you wanted to turn on the heater you'd be like I'm just gonna have to be cold in this garage yeah but who knows who knows I mean she couldn't even cross her mind that that's people die that way you know it could it could have been that it could also been that if she was also on all that speed yeah that she didn't have all her faculties and she just was kind of like fuck it I'm gonna do this for one second yeah um, fell asleep. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? A grand jury probe subsequently found that there was no evidence of murder. Um, and the cl- case was closed by the Homicide Bureau, uh, which listed the death as accidental with possible suicidal tendencies. Oh. The investigators m- were never able to find any motive for suicide or a suicide note. And all her friends and family were like, it's impossible that she was would want to commit suicide. Um, because of course of her career, of her restaurant, like everything was going great for her. Yeah. Um, but then why she, was she so quiet in the car? Maybe she was just like, fuck this shit. Well, she could have been drunk. She could have, could have been because of that fight with her ex mm-hmm. and maybe being embarrassed oh. from that. It could have been, she could have also met somebody at that party that she then planned to go see mm. after and was going home to get her car to That's go why meet she was someone. like you don't need to walk me upstairs because she wasn't going upstairs no she was like going to meet somebody Baby. i mean who knows so here's the even weirder part then a bunch of, when police start looking into it a bunch of people come forward claiming that they saw or talked to thelma todd on sunday december 15th what? yes so um, one of the people who claimed this was a woman named Martha Ford. She's the wife of actor Wallace Ford, and she was hosting a party on Sunday during the day. And she claims that Thelma called her. And when she first got on the phone, she thought she, it was someone named Velma. She didn't know who she was talking to. And then, um, she realized it was Thelma and she's, Thelma asked if it would be okay if she wore evening clothes from the night before to her party that day and when martha said sure i don't care Mm -hmm. she claims that thelma then told her she was bringing a surprise guest and said (gasps) quote she said martha said she said quote you just wait until i walk in you'll fall dead (gasps) 
So somebody's in the mix. If this, if this is to be believed and it wasn't an imposter, there was somebody in the mix that, because you could also be quiet in a car after being in a club because you ran into someone awesome and hot that you were like, oh my God, I'm going to go meet this guy. Yeah. And you're stoked oh, like about it. some famous actor or something that you're like, yeah. up with. And also famous enough. There's the tragedy train. <laughs> Can you hear it? <laughs> Choo-chooing. Choo-choo. Um, thinking about that, if she herself is one of the most famous actresses, who could she have been talking about that she was like, you're going to die when you see who I'm bringing to your party? George Clooney. It's clones from the <laughs> early days. Pre-ER Clooney. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Mrs. Ford assured investigators it was not an impossible an imposter she was positive she spoke to oh. Thelma Todd then it later in in court I don't know if it's in court is accurate I think I just wrote that but mm -hmm. later on Jewel Carmen who's Roland wife Roland West's wife mm -hmm. she testified that she saw Thelma Todd at the intersection of Hollywood and Vine on Sunday morning with a handsome handsome stranger mm. in the passenger seat of her car but according to the coroner's coroner's estimated time of death Thelma was already dead in the garage at her own, at Jewel's house mm -hmm. when she claims to have seen her in Hollywood, which if you know anything about Los Angeles yeah. is very far away from Pacific Palisades yeah. where all of this was taking place. And like, if she needed to like it, her seeing her is suspicious because she's like putting her somewhere else to avoid the suspicion. Yep. Exactly. Herself. Or any connection right. of her, her family, the house. Yeah. No, she was alive when I saw her last and yes. not near here. Yeah. She was having a great time at Hollywood and Vine where With that hot Starbucks is. Stranger. Yeah. <laughs> at the old timey Starbucks. <laughs> With that old Starbucks that just had the one barista. He did it all. So Thelma Todd's funeral is held on December 19th. It's like Th yeah. Three days later, open casket, thousands of fans show up her uh, to view the body. They there's it's a there's a really weird pictures. You can see there's tons of pictures of all this stuff because this was also back. And uh, I talked about this a little bit with the Agnes Underwood thing. Um, this was back when the press would show up yeah. with the cops at crime scenes. Yeah. So like in, in all of this stuff, there's pictures of everything. You can see pictures of Thelma Todd in her car, in the garage. You can see it all. It's, oh my God. Yeah, it's nuts. So there is a picture of her in her coffin at the viewing and her, her coffin is surrounded by roses. They're piled up everywhere behind her and on it. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. Also, the coffin is tipped up a little bit so you can see her Thelma. It's open casket. Jesus. You can see her from far away. That's so creepy. It's so creepy. And it's, yeah. Of course, her two ex friends and co-stars, Patsy Kelly and Zazu Pitts were devastated. And it was said that Patsy Kelly was so upset she had to be kept under a doctor doctor's care because mm. um, she had just gone shopping with Elma Todd like days before. Mm. So it's, and she, she wasn't even 30. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's horrible. So now we talk about some of the suspects. Okay. So obviously the ex-husband is the first suspect because it's one of the last people who saw her alive. Mm -hmm. Public fight, infamous like wife beater. This guy, Pat DeChica, whatever his name is, went on to marry Gloria Vanderbilt. Oh my God. He used to call her Fatso or some, he had some horrible nickname for a woman who is in no way, like he's a fucking pig. Yeah. And he used to beat the shit out of her as well. So he, and he had mob ties, you know, yeah. he, he, 
if, if Thelma Todd embarrassed him at that huge party that he was not invited to mm-hmm. with all these famous people, he could have just been enraged and gotten drunk himself, went back, knew she was when she was going home mm-hmm. and like met her on the staircase and then basically set up the body to make it look like yeah. it was an accidental death. And later on, um, in 1937, Pat Tachiko was said to have been involved in an altercation with comedian Ted Healy that led to his death. Hmm. So he's no stranger to beating the shit out of people until they die. Um, yeah. So he's up there. Of course, Lucky Luciano's up there because of the, his whole plan of putting the, the casino above Thelma Todd's sidewalk cafe right. that she said no to. Um, uh, and he clearly would, would not. Ha- in any way yeah. i mean he was he he was like the head of a huge crime family yeah. he, he, no one says no to this guy yeah so it could have been knocking her off to get her out of the way so that they can go in and actually make that plan that's obviously like a plan to take over show business yeah um and it's said that a few hours after thelma's body was found he was on a plane out of LA hmm. and he left town. Hmm. But the most likely, oh, also, uh, Thelma's mother, um, Alice was said to have been bragging about two friends that she was going to build a mansion for herself. And Alice was the, um, only person in Thelma Todd's will. So she was going to get all the money. No way. Her mom knocked her off. Well, you never know. <laughs> but then there's Roland West. So Roland West admitted that he did lock the door on Thelma Todd that night and locked her out of the house. And he had done it before to her. But he claimed when he was like on the official record, he claimed he was only joking when he ran out and said, you have be back by 2 a.m. Hilarious. It's one of those hilarious threatening jokes. Yeah. Um, but nobody believed he was joking because he... He was constantly enraged. So apparently his career wasn't doing that well. She wasn't that interested in him, in him anymore. She, he was having to witness her, her other lovers mm-hmm. and all the dates that she went on and the fun parties that she went to. So at the very least, there are theories that he intentionally locked her out. That led to her death, accidental death by a carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, he found her then tried to like basically make it look like that's what happened and that like it had nothing to do with him Mm -hmm. which is then why his wife jewel said Mm. that that she saw uh trying to cover for her husband yeah Uh exactly and he basically knew what he did led to her death so he was just trying to like break the chain but there, there are also theories that he's that he she came home late they got into a fight he strangled her to death which uh is you know connects those supposed mm-hmm. bruises that she had on her neck um and a broken nose and the you know like basically her general being battered um that he had finally had it and that he then placed her in the garage and made it look like she either killed herself or um basically just uh Mon- he could have done it so she she passed out and then put her in there and so she still would have died from it right when you know yeah Maybe you're saying there's a third, third theory. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he strangles her till she passes. He doesn't actually kill her. She, he just does something to make her pass out, puts oh. her in the car, turns the engine on. Oh, and then she dies 
from that, so the coroner's like, this is what she died from, but right. she was placed in there. Yes, and purposely. it's all kind of convenient, but it works out perfectly for him, because then he has the restaurant. Right. He has everything. He maybe even has, like, deals with Lucky Lucian. Maybe he yeah. wants the casino in that place. Well, it did turn into a casino after that, right? No. Um, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, um, I think, yeah, it just went straight to Jiffy Lube, straight into the Jiffy Lube <laughs> that's there today. And if you bring a coupon, they will honor it. Oh, wow. There are unsubstantiated rumors that Roland West admitted on his deathbed to Chester Morris, your favorite actor, um, and his good friend, that he was more involved with Thelma's death than he had in, um, initially admitted to police. But, of course, those are unsubstantiated by Chester Morris himself, who everyone knows is a fucking liar. Oh, he lies everywhere. Thelma Todd's last movie, she starred in with Laurel and Hardy. It was a comedy called The Bohemian Girl. And she died after she had finished it. But producer Hal Roach reshot almost every scene, deleted all of her dialogue, mm. and limited her appearance to one musical number. Mm. And the quote that I that I pulled that I was so excited to even tell this whole thing. It basically, when the press asked her on the day that Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe opened, the press asked her why she would open a restaurant. And she basically gives this badass answer, God bless anyone that can find it. But she basically said she's setting up a safety net for herself because she wants to be able, so in the future, when she's not pretty enough and when she gains too much weight, she can just go and trans transition right into this business and never worry about it again the way that the her friends and the people around her were so caught up in looking beautiful, staying young, mm. and all the, the like traps and dangers. Do you have it? Fucking Steven. Oh, my God. I re here it is. This is it, Steven. Amazing. How come I couldn't find this fucking website? I realized long ago that it is only a case of a few years for an actress before she gradually and sometimes almost imperceptibly loses popularity and younger ones start to take her place. Look at some of the one-time famous stars of a few years ago. Whoever hears of them now, most of them are unhappy and rather bewildered. It's pretty hard to have your lifelong career at an end. So I decided long ago that I wasn't going to be one of them. The years are not going to bother me as they do so many of my colleagues. Wrinkles won't worry me neither will increasing weight because as long as i can use my head it won't matter how i look mm. thelma todd mm. and karen fucking kilgara that's right <laughs> thank you so much for finding that god bless you amazing wow we should open a restaurant you want to because <laughs> everyone knows podcasting as soon as you start to age and gain weight they kick but, you oh my god right out of there so the opposite. Mm. God bless you all. The podcasting mafia, you know how they are. And that wow. is the story the story of the mysterious death of 30s actress Thelma Todd. Great job. Thank you. Really excellent. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to start. All right, this is called The Footpath Murders, but okay. it's got like historical significance that I don't want to tell you about yet. Okay. Uh and I got a lot of information from a good article in the uh, guardian by ian cobain uh and elsewhere okay here we go november 21st 1983 in narborough which i definitely had to look up and make sure i said it right a quiet village located in leicestershire another fucking hard <laughs> one that i was not sure i was gonna Is get that right spelled out phonetically i spelled it out leicester sure <laughs> leicestershire and narborough i read out 
like NAR, like G-N-A-R, like gnarly. <laughs> Don't know why. Gnarly borough. That's right. Okay. So Narborough is about 100 miles from London. It's like a small little village. It's not super small, but it definitely feels like a, like a little village. And so November of 21st, 1983, 15-year-old Linda Mann takes a shortcut on her way home from babysitting instead of taking her normal route. So it's a small village community where crime is almost unheard of. So when Linda hadn't arrived home by that night, people start to worry and freak out. Uh, her family calls the police to report her missing. The next morning on a deserted footpath known locally as Black Pad, Linda Mann is found dead with her clothing scattered around her. She'd been strangled with her own scarf and the autopsy shows that she had been killed pretty quickly and uh, had been raped post-mortem. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. Takes her little shortcut down some fucking like, you know, as you do. When you're in a 15. little in a little village, yeah, like in a little, yeah, yeah. So it probably wasn't even that secluded, you know. It was just a shortcut that everyone took, right? So using the forensic science techniques available at the time, police uh, find that the the person they they take a semen sample from Linda's body and they uh, say it's a person with type A blood and an enzyme profile that matched only ten percent of males in England, mm. um, and the quiet village town is terrified. The residents are fucking in a frenzy, freaking out, wanting to catch this, this killer of a high school girl. And, but there's no leads or evidence and the case is not closed. It's left open and kind of goes cold for three years. Time goes by. The town starts to kind of somewhat go back to normal. And then on July 31st, 1986, on a Thursday afternoon, another 15-year-old high school girl from the same fucking high school mm. uh, called named Dawn Ashworth, she leaves a friend's house in the village and begins her trek home only a few minutes walk away. Dawn, she was only 12 at the time of Linda's murder. So maybe she didn't hear, you know, the warnings. Maybe she just didn't think of it. Yeah. She chose to take a shortcut along an overgrown footpath locally known as 10 pound lane. And then she vanishes and her family becomes worried again. They put out a search for her. They can't find her until two days later when Dawn's body is found in um, in the corner of a nearby field close to the 10 pound lane that she had taken. She's covered in twigs and branches and uh, the pathologist established that she had put up a fucking crazy fight. Mm. Um, so she hadn't been killed right away like Linda had. She and then had been raped and strangled. So the field where Dawn was found in was just three fields away, which is like a hundred yards from where Linda's body had been found three years earlier. Plus the locations were between a cemetery and a psychiatric hospital. Oh no. So everyone's losing their shit. Like did a fucking psychiatric patient get out and, you know, kill these people, right. these poor girls. Um, did someone rise from the dead and kill in them? In the cemetery. That's right. <sighs> so it's, a, it's like, that just cordon it off as the creepiest area of your village and don't have anybody walk over there. Never, ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so creepy. And so they're like, well, these, 
these are probably related. And so semen samples taken from Don's body show that it's the same person who had killed Linda three years earlier. Detectives believe that the killer is a local man, someone who knew the area and possibly even knew Linda for some reason. A week into their investigation into Don's murder, police get a break when witnesses come forward saying that they had seen a young man in the vicinity of 10 Pound Lane on the day of the uh, Don's murder. And that uh, man is tracked down and it turns out to be a 17 year old named Richard Buckland. So Richard Buckland is a kitchen worker at the psychiatric hospital. Oh, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Let's see. He and likes to volunteer at the cemetery. That's right. He's a kitchen worker at the cemetery <laughs> too. He has a reputation around the village for liking to, to scare girls as they walk home. Um, and after 15 hours of questioning, uh, Richard, who had learning difficulties, kind of a slow dude, I believe. Mm-hmm. He confesses to Don Ashworth's murder, but he adamantly des- denies having anything to do with Linda's murder. Oh, He's no. like, I didn't do that one, but I did do this one. And of course, they're saying he had information that only the killer could have, which we all know now is not, you know, doesn't mean anything if you've been interrogated for 15 hours. Right. But the police are... 100% certain that the, the person who killed one killed the other. It's it's impossible that he just killed one of them. Right. And they are convinced he's lying. So he's charged on August 10th with Don's murder. And okay, meanwhile, across town, this dude, Alec Jeffries, let's talk about him. 10 miles away from where the girls had been murdered at the University of Leicestershire, uh, who, of course, their their mascot, of course. Oh, the fighting walnuts. <laughs> right. You know, walnuts, how like they like to fight each other. And In England. Clonk into each other all the time. Very common. Fight, fight, fight. Oh, it's so loud. Yeah. Walnuts everywhere. Clack. Clack. Ba-da-da-da-da. Okay, so at the University of, uh, what did I call it? Leicestershire. <laughs> <laughs> so he, the student Alec Jeffries, is a genetic researcher. And he had recently made an unexpected but insane fucking discovery during a failed experiment. Uh, he was studying the way inherited illnesses pass through families and kind of studying, um, like, so he could do paternity tests and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. He had extracted DNA cells and attached it to a photographic film, which he had then left in a photographic developing tank. And once he extracted that, the film showed a sequence of bars and Jeffrey's realized that every individual whose cell had been used in the experiment could be identified with great precision. So he was the fucking first person to do DNA testing to realize that DNA, like a fingerprint, everyone has their own. It's, it's specific. If you're from a family, you can tell what people are families and all this shit. Holy shit. And this fucking Alec Jeffries, dude. Whoa. He's the originator. So after published, so he's is like, this is incredible. He, I'm sure he had a lot of fucking coworkers and buddies who were, it's not just him, etc. <laughs> he's not alone. I don't want to give him all the credit. <laughs> However, he published, he, uh, after publishing an academic paper on his discovery, he uses his newfangled testing to solve paternity cases and all other kinds of like cases like that. But he's also like, well, I wonder if this could be used to apprehend criminals mm-hmm. as well. So, but he, when he had fucking talked about that possibility at like a conference, the fucking audience laughed at him. Of course they did. Yeah. That's how it always goes. They're like, that's not going to happen, bro. Yeah. How would you know? Yeah. Dummies. Right. Looks like you're wrong. <laughs> In your face from <laughs> what, 80 years ahead? Yeah. Look at your dumb face. Um, but Leicestershire police thought, or like, 
I guess they were kind of forward thinking because they were like, let's have this guy fucking help us prove that this Richard Buckland is the murderer of both of them. So they contact Jeffries. He agrees to test Buckland's blood and semen on the girls, uh, the, the girls' bodies. So, but when he takes the film from the developing bank, he could see immediately that the girls had indeed been raped and killed by the, or raped by the same person. But it, that, that man was not Richard Buckland oh. in either fucking case. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So the police are totally astonished. I wrote, there's probably a ton of hubbubbery around. <laughs> hubbubbery. Ooh, and it's <laughs> England, so it's very... British bubbery. Yeah, kind of curly mustache bub hubbubbery. Hubbubbery. They have Jeffries repeat the test two more times. Shit. And it's definitely not him. The senior investigating officer says at the time, one minute we got the guy and the next we've got jack shit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where that phrase was invented. Right. But in a British accent, which is so much better. Um, Do they say jack shit over there? That's so funny. I kind of I bet because it's like it's kind of a cute phrase instead of just like, you know, like jack shit's cuter than bullshit. Maybe. And yeah, sure. After so after more than three months in custody, Buckland clearly innocent now is set free and the police are back to square one with their hunt for this fucking highly dangerous double killer of teenage girls yeah so they fucking throw their balls to the wall and they're like let's just do everything we can how about this uh it's an unprecedented move they send out a letter to all the local men between the ages of 17 and 34 asking them to give a voluntary dna sample a what kind? Voluntary. What did I say? <laughs> Volunary? Volunary. What is voluntary? <laughs> I thought there was some... You're teaching me all this new blood sample stuff. Voluntary DNA. It comes directly from your nipple. It's the, it's when you squeeze your nipple really hard. Ow. That's voluntary. Ow. And then the juice that comes out. After a while, Alec was like, I don't think this test is worth it. <laughs> I've, I've invented a ton of great tests yeah. here. Every time I go on stage and tell people about this, even though it works better than anything else, they laugh at me. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I want voluntary testing to be required. That's right. On everyone. And then the nipple clamps come out. That's right. And everyone's like, I don't like this. Gross. I don't care how many crimes it solves. Okay. <laughs> so they ask all these dudes to give voluntary DNA samples. It becomes the world's first mass screening for DNA. Wow. Yeah. By the end of that month, around a thousand men had volunteered to give samples. And of course, the police are like, we're going to flush out the people who fucking won't give samples because obviously those people are guilty of something. Yes. And at the time, the forensic science laboratories or laboratories, because we're in <laughs> As they England, like to say, aluminium. Uh, the aluminium. They're, they can't even keep up because they're like testing so many people. And of course, the media at the time and a lot of people were talking about how like this is a violation of your um, what's it called? Your DNA personal rights. rights. <laughs> yeah. And like personal rights, all this bullshit. But the fucking townspeople over in uh, Leicestershire are like, fuck you. They're yeah. so hardcore into catching this killer that they don't give a shit good and basically like hound all their friends the male friends into making sure that they go get tested like everyone's on it and also i just would urge people who believe that it's a it's it's somehow uh a violation a violation of your rights like it doesn't make sense because the cops can get you in lots of different ways yeah this whole dna thing like it's such a weird paranoid 
um, theory of like, then they have you as if this apocalyptic future where everyone's going to get controlled by cops with their DNA yeah. or whatever, where it's just like, but it's, it's to catch murderers now. and rapists. Yeah. That's right what it's now. being used for. And they have a thing. I think there's a thing now. It's not really, this isn't really used anymore, this mass screening. But when they do do it, they have to then destroy all the evidence or the DNA of people who weren't the suspect. Right. They can't keep it. You know, yeah. to be like, well, maybe later we'll have a crime that this guy will commit. Yeah. That sort they of can't, thing. They can't, oftentimes police departments can't solve the crimes that they're there. They're not uh, like holding a bit, whatever. Yeah. Why, why am I arguing this? Because you're mad about it. <laughs> I'm not. Because Karen is all about personal rights. <laughs> I hate personal rights. <laughs> and she argues against them any chance she gets. Um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. After eight months, uh, 5,500 men have given blood samples. Only one person had refused, but I don't think it's him. Oh. It wasn't him. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't, I promise. Okay. Uh, but there's no match with the killer's samples, and the police are still at a fucking loss. And wow. they, like, even though they tested, can you imagine 5,500 fucking people that you're testing and they're not, you're just not finding him? Yeah. After like 2,500, you're like, it's probably going to be this next guy because yeah. we're like, we've done so many. So many. But I mean, pro- super props to the Lester Shirk police department totally. who were just like w- by any means necessary yeah and forward thinking because i feel like so many people were like dna i mean it took a, like until the oj simpson trial for anyone to even know what it was but they were like let's use this immediately yes which is pretty in- insane okay then in august of 1987 here we are yes more than a year after the murder of dawn some workmates from a local bakery are having some pints at in a pub i wrote all of that <laughs> Here would be having drinks at a bar. They're having pints, pints at, a, at pub. a pub. And they're workmates, not co-workers. That's right. I'm in England. Uh, when one of them, this dude named Kelly, he starts drunkenly bragging. He has a big mouth. Starts drunkenly bragging to his co-workers about how he had been paid 200 pounds by one of their co-workers <gasps> to impersonate him and give bloods in his place. Oh, no. Oh, good old Kelly. You can't keep his fucking mouth Kelly. shut. Kelly. Kelly, braggy, brag, brag. <laughs> God bless you. And then at the same time. Yeah. Oh, give, you're, you're give the Kelly worst. Kelly one pint and he won't shut his fucking Zip it. mouth. You have to pick better than Kelly when you're going to get somebody that's going to have a big, dark secret. That's right. Buy, buy Kelly a bag of chips, <laughs> whatever, and he'll talk. Okay. Kelly explains drunkenly to his friends that uh, the coworker that they all knew had asked for this favor. He Kelly said that he told him that he had already taken the, this guy had already taken the test for someone else oh. who had a conviction for indecent exposure when he was younger. So now Kelly needed to take it for him. It wasn't you know what I mean. It's not. It wasn't his fault. He's caught up in this insane. It's a circle DNA fraud uh, link. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Um. So the co. So this coworker had doctored his passport, like cut out his little picture and put in the picture of. Kelly's stupid face, uh, and then driven him to the test center and waited outside while Kelly gave his blood sample in his place. It worked out like fine. a carpool mom just waited out there uh-huh. and run right back outside. Don't dilly dally, Kelly. That's right. When you're in there, don't get talking about football. Right. That's don't be like that soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Luckily, there's a fucking nosy woman at the bar. Yeah, girl. Who fucking overhears all of this. Yes. And is like, Wait a fucking minute. <laughs> this is insane. And tells the police about it. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. Kelly is promptly arrested. By the end of the day, this fucking coworker is also in custody. Who's a coworker? 
25-year-old Colin Pitchfork. No. That's his name. Okay. He is married to a social worker who, of course, had no fucking clue. They have two young sons together. Uh. He had worked at Hampshire's Bakery for over a decade. And here's what it said in one of the articles. Despite his habit of constantly hitting on female employees... According to his boss, he was a good worker and had a special talent for artistic cake decorations. I mean... So, don't fire him. Yeah. Soon, hopefully, hopefully in the next five years, people will begin to integrate the idea Mm -hmm. that hitting on women... Constantly. constantly, Using your word, constantly. Constantly at work. It shows sign of it. That you're not a good guy. Yeah, maybe there's an impulse control issue. Maybe there's other boundary issues. Just, yeah. You're a creep. Just creep. The creep issue. Yeah. He, but also, you know, he had a previous conviction for indecent exposure. He (gasps) He was the indecent exposure that he was claiming exactly be covering for um he was picked up and after reading him his rights the detective asked why dawson ashworth and colin pitchfork shrugged and replied opportunity she was there and i was there Ooh. he's just a fucking monster yeah then he gave a detailed so he believed in dna evidence too so he wasn't even going to try to fucking say it wasn't him right he gives detailed a detailed confession to both murders and two other sexual assaults that he had uh, done. Whoa. He told police that when he raped and killed Linda Mann, uh, our first victim, his car had been parked nearby and his baby son had been asleep in the back of it. Holy shit. That's right. And the night after, and the night of Don's killing that night, he returned home to his, uh, he returned to his home in the village of Little Thorpe and baked a cake. Mm. Yeah. It's insane. Immediately, I'm thinking of Paul Hollywood in the Great American, or gr- the Great British Baking Show. Have you watched it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think we've talked about it. Yeah. And how I'm I'm so obsessed with it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, that, that comes in. Actually, that comes into play. In I'm just saying, how was his sponge? What that <laughs> night was it affected by his terrible, terrible uh, crimes uh, against humanity, or was he able to get a nice bake? Jesus, I don't know. He's so creepy. He does look like a normal dude, kind uh-huh. of, too. Except there's one, his mugshot, his eyeballs, his, like, pupils look like they're just floating in his eyes. Ew, like, what? That's how dead they are. They're like, they're just like, it's just like someone was like, here's what a human eye is supposed <laughs> to look like. And like how, you know, when you put a, an egg, a raw egg in water and it floats, they just look so dead that they're just... Oh, yeah. Doesn't he? Yes, he has a, what I believe the Japanese call seppuku, where your iris doesn't touch your bottom Right. Leg. And I think... Like they're bobbing in there. Yes. And it's, they're, they're floaters. And it means, I believe it's Japanese... Uh, culture or whatever that you're evil if you have eyes like that well i might have done that before so i don't want to go that far do mine no they do not you promise yeah they they fill up your whole eye okay great yeah he just looks like who does he look like he looks like a young al bundy (laughs) but british and dead-eyed yes doesn't he well the eyes are wrong yeah they're they're wrong and there's weird space there's too much space on them yeah it doesn't look like an alien was like, here's what human eyes are like. Here, let's here, try this. Try these. Jesus. Also now, just as I scroll, of course I scroll down and then there's just a bunch of other old black and white mug shots that are equally horrifyingly yeah. creepy. So have a good sleep tonight. 
Okay, so he also, Pitchfork also admits to exposing himself to over a thousand women's from women's <laughs> from his early teens onward. Jesus, like he was a fucking sexual predator. Wow. He progressed to sexual assault and then murder. He pleads guilty to fifteen to the murder of fifteen-year-old Linda Mann and Don Ashworth's rape and murder and is sentenced to life imprisonment becoming the first criminal to be convicted of murder based on dna evidence wow that's the fucking first case you know how everyone's always like googling that here it is this is it (laughs) i wanted to throw down your paper like there you go motherfucker i was gonna say that as the as the um introduction to this but then i was like let's save it for good, good call you know what i mean i'm good a call for storytelling i'm a storyteller it's my job somehow <laughs> i don't know how that happened either and you're welcome <laughs> it's weird okay but alex jeffries our fucking good friend the dna dad yep um <laughs> <laughs> he becomes known as the father of genetic fingerprinting and in 1994 he's fucking knighted for his services yeah he is for, to science and technology in a psychiatric report about Colin Pitchfork, he's said to have personality disorder of psychopathic type accompanied by serious psychosexual pathology, which we're all like, yeah. yeah. And it's warned that Colin Pitchfork, quote, will obviously continue to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That whole thing out. Do not cut that out. I'm begging you. <laughs> Please. I am 100% not drunk. I just want to go ahead and... I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that because it makes it worse. I feel like I'm just rusty. It's been so long since it's we've done this. It's been forever. It's been forever. No, no, no. This is good. It's like that first show when we go back on tour after months off. And it's and like, we're all where, just like how, what are we doing? How do we say things? Okay. <laughs> Can't wait to see you, San Diego. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, no. <laughs> Someone warns that, he, the psychiatrist warns that he will, quote, obviously continue to be an extremely dangerous individual why, while the psychopathology continues. Like, don't let him out, essentially, is what they're saying. Yes. So, he's sentenced to life imprisonment, as I said. But what that really means is that he has a minimum of 30 years. Right. Because it never fucking means life in prison, which everyone at the time is probably like, yay, we can go home now and everything will be fine. Right. That 30 years is reduced to 28 years in 2009 for, quote, exceptional progress while okay. in prison. Right. He hasn't exposed himself to any right. anybody in prison. So he must be fine. Now He's let's, doing great. Let's take two of those years off. Doing great, murderer. In prison... He is said to have been well-behaved, has gotten a degree, and has become a specialist in the transcription of printed music into Braille. So, he's like kind of becomes this artistic-y guy. Okay. Who gives a shit? <laughs> in April of 2016, so thir- 30 years, time is just so funny in that it fucking goes by. Yeah, So, what hap- what's 30 years, 30 years ago, is now. Is now. You can get out. So, in April 2016, he appears before the parole board. They uh, recommended that he be, uh, that he not be released, but that he be moved to an open prison. So, (laughs) what the fuck's an open prison? An open prison is like basically what we would call minimum security, but also you you can't leave during the day and go to the movies, can you? You absolutely can. And guess who does? Colin Pitchfork. That's right. He's 58 years old now. He's changed his name to Thorpe. So he gets to have anonymity. That is a good call. I'm sorry. Yeah. Pitchfork is just like, you're going straight to like, 
the the canned ham devil is <laughs> yeah but then he get, you know it's not fair because he gets to have anonymity yes you know what right. i mean yes um so he is living in an open prison in Gloucestershire. Didn't look that one up. Gloucestershire? Gloucestershire. I believe that. Mine's a guess. I think you're right. Okay. And he's been allowed alone on the streets for up to six hours at a time before being taken back to prison. He's been photographed and you can fucking see the photograph. He looks like a 60 year old, not that old, like a young, cause he's been indoors for so long. Dad. Mm, you okay. He looks like not someone you should be afraid of. Right. Um, he's been photographed on a shopping trip in Bristol city center browsing bake off books. Okay. Which is your favorite show. Is the great British bake off? I think that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Ba- cause he remember he was a baker too. Yes, that's right. He so, must love that show. Yeah. And eating, he was eating a pulled pork roll. He's having a great old day. Sure. Acting like someone who hasn't killed two teenage girls brutally. Right. And um, exposed himself to thousands. Right. He, uh, now has the right to unsupervised overnight stays in the community. And they're doing this in a way to prepare him to get out soon. Right. So like he can go look for jobs. He can prep, like find a place to live. He's, they're like prepping for him to fucking leave okay in a may this last may of 2018 in a parole hearing was a parole hearing was due to take place but was canceled after a review of the case paperwork by the parole board the parole board probably read the fucking file and were like yeah oh jesus no. i don't want him near my teenage daughters yeah well and, and also because the, the, that first time he got somebody to give blood in his right you, you can't act like this isn't somebody who is like not a mastermind murderer. Totally. Who who knows that if I'm good in prison, I'll be let out someday. Yes. When I'm young enough to continue killing. It's I'm not like, like he's a feeble 90-something-year-old man. No, you're exactly right. He's a, he's a legit psychopath who's like raring to go. Yeah. Don't, I mean, I feel like people who, who have admitted to being fucking psychopathic murderers and, and, and violent ones at that who have good have a completely perfect record should be more, like feared more than the ones who keep fucking up in prison it's like <laughs> you're so good at controlling your craziness that you can do it for fucking 30 years yes and make people believe you i just feel like people shouldn't get out until like you're saying they're feeble yeah essentially and that they can't do anything right like, wh- why would you release a double murderer in like the, essentially the prime of his life totally yeah um and let him change his name so he can be anonymous meanwhile of course the families of linda and uh don are fucking up in arms and so pissed off about this yes um and they're of course doing all kinds of crazy uh petitions and everything Linda's mother, Kath Eastwood, she's fucking pissed off and is fighting Colin Pitchfork being released. She's pissed off because, the, like, the parole board wouldn't even let the victim's families speak to talk about what a piece of shit he is. They just, like, let him go on fucking day trips. Right. They are fighting him being released or allowed back into the general public. Uh, she said, Kath Eastwood said, you can say he is a well-behaved prisoner, but don't ever forget that he is a well-behaved double child killer. Yes. Which, Kath, yes. Um, she and the other family members of Linda and Don are working on petitions to fight Pitchfork ever being released, but he does have another parole hearing coming up soon in the future. So the one that got canceled was because the parole board was like, no, we're not considering this? Yeah, because I think that... the that you know, the public such an uproar, right? Good. So there's a huge uproar about it. And so it's been postponed, but it's going to happen again. Right. But yeah, that is the footpath murders, AKA the first criminal to be convicted of murder based on DNA evidence. 
ever. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So crazy. We'll post a photo of him now so we can all keep an eye out. Yeah. Watch out, England. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awful. I know. So creepy. I feel like there's all those, like, we have now truth and sentencing laws, meaning a life sentence is a fucking life sentence. But I don't think it, um, I don't think it's proactive. Retroactive? Thank you. Backwards active? Back That way. Yes. <laughs> right. Back there? Yeah. So whatever you got sentenced to when you were sentenced doesn't change. It's right. just for people now, which is stupid. And could not be true. I'm just saying that. No, I get it. I mean, it's just that you just don't hear, and maybe it's just because it's not as big of a deal, but it's like, there's people who get arrested for dealing pot and they yeah. stay in jail for 10 years. Yeah. Like all of these things, it's just, and, and we have to say this last, um, they just did sign in some huge, um, legal reform bill that's like a big deal. It was actually, um, bipartisan, which is unbelievable yeah. that anything bipartisan is happening in this country right now. But like legal reform is definitely on the docket for a lot of people these days. Thank God. Yeah. And that's just one of the things that has to be looked at. It's like there are people who are incarcerated for years and years who have like, uh, victimless crimes. Yeah. And those people should be getting paroled and be putting into, be put into these, um, like release programs or drug programs instead of prison time at all. All that stuff. And then, then there'll be plenty of room for double, like for serial killers, <laughs> yeah. for double murderers, for people who plan, um, who, who don't see human life as, val- as right. valuable as their own and who do things for pleasure that are, ab- should absolutely who's not psych- be happening. Whose psychiatrist says he will do this again if yes. he's let out. Of course he will do it again. Yeah. That's, we've all learned that yeah. at this point. Everyone can sing along to that song. And you know, even if he's a fucking upstanding citizen now, it, you don't like, well, those, Two girls, Linda and fucking Don, don't get chances to be upstanding citizens. Don't get to go fucking do British Bake Off. But the other thing that they never talk about is uh, he's not an upstanding citizen. Yeah. He's an upstanding prisoner. Right. Which means that he's not shiving people left, right, and center. Right. That doesn't mean he's a good person. Yeah. He's getting along to get, to go along to get along. Yeah. He's making it work so he can get out. Yeah. He's doing what needs to get done. Like you said, it's, it's, he's more devious. Yeah. It's scarier. He's a psychopath. Yeah. He wants to murder people. Yeah. Oy. It's the potato claws, but <laughs> with murder. Let's act like um, murder is as bad as gaining weight. Let's do the... Oh, let's culturally, let's try to like just get that going a little How bit. How about, yeah, we'll stop fat shaming and Steven. we'll instead murder shame. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mur- fat shaming, can, body shaming can be finally put to an end right. by all of us. Yeah. And let's get some murder shaming let's going. Let's try that instead. Let's go on Instagram and shame murderers and shame comment that. on murderers' Instagrams instead of on <laughs> people who... You look a little murdery in this picture. Yeah. Have you been murdering? Yeah. Have, Have you been, been murdering home too murdering much? People? <laughs> um, cool. All right. Fucking hooray. It's fucking hooray time. Do you have one? I do. Do you? I do. You want to go first or you want me to go Is this now the fucking hooray challenge? (laughs) (laughs) Let's hit them at the same time. Ready? You can go first. Okay. All right. Well, my... Okay. So... Okay. I don't know why I have to preface it with this, but ever since we lost our house when I was 16 years old at the bank, I've lived in apartments and rented and just kind of had that, you know, 
nomadic apartment lifestyle and thought I always fucking would for the rest of my life and never even dreamed of anything else because it was impossible. Right. This podcast in so many ways has changed our fucking life. And that includes the fact that just a couple weeks ago, we closed escrow, Vince and I, on a house. Yeah. And we're going to be homeowners for the first time. And it's this gorgeous little bungalow that the first two times, it was the first house we saw. And after we looked around, I started crying because I realized that I could have it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, the second time I went there, I cried too. It reminds (laughs) me of my grandma's house, which was like kind of my my safe haven in between all these things happening. She died a few years ago, but I just, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm, it's just doesn't feel real and I love it so much and I'm so happy. And so thanks for helping me with that. (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) Well, on behalf of everyone else, we say you're welcome. You deserve it. Thank you. And yeah, it's so, it's so exciting. It's really crazy. It's really fuck. I just keep saying to Vince, we bought a house. Yeah. I mean, the bank owns it for the time being, but we, we bought a house. We have a home. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Really cool. And so there'll be a pod, pod basement instead of a pod loft. (laughs) I ain't going into that basement. First of all, there's not supposed to be basements in California. So something Mm -hmm. very strange has happened in that home. Absolutely. We're going to have to have a, a Ouija board seance. Let's do it. Like on the first night that you move okay. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. What's yours? Yeah. Um, well, I guess mine, I, my friend Ryan Sickler just started a brand new podcast called, uh, The Honeydew. And his first, the first episode came out. Um, his co-host is Josh Adam Myers, who's another comic who's really funny. And it, so, uh, Ryan's old podcast is the crab feast oh, and yeah, yeah. Ryan Sickler and Jay Larson hosted the crab feast for years. It's a great podcast. There's tons of hilarious people on it. And I met those guys and did that podcast. So anyway, Ryan Sickler started the honeydew podcast. There's one episode out and it basically, <laughs> he named it that because that's the most, the least popular fruit mm-hmm. of anybody. Like that's the fruit everybody leaves on their plate mm-hmm. at restaurants. And then he basically is like, it's a podcast about coming on and talking about what, how you are honeydew melon in your life and basically <laughs> telling like sad stories or stories of rejection or loss or disappointment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And basically laughing about it because that's kind yeah. of all you can do. And he starts with his own story and I'm telling you, it is a fucking unbelievable like i had no idea that's what his life was like growing up it was awful and it's unbelievable because he's one of the best guys like it's just unbelievable so uh if you're into that kind of comedy or you've like he ryan's done he's got an album out he's done a bunch of stuff but um if you're a fan or you're looking for a new podcast with like a completely different flavor uh, I recommend it because it's really enjoyable and it's really good storytelling, but it's also very poignant at the same time. It, I, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. That sounds good. I am going to listen to it. I like, <laughs> I like fucked up stories. Yeah, it's just fucked up. Okay. It's pretty fucked up. Um, all right. Well, that's that then. Um, thanks for listening and happy 2019. Let's fucking get through this year together. Yeah. Hope you guys family. had a great new year. Yeah. And, uh, so much to come in 2019. Mm-hmm. The ball is rolling. Let's have fun. Yeah. Let's do it. And let's stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye-bye. Elvis, want cookie? Wow.